now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios. No guests, nobody here beside me. Spencer actually has been on the road. The guy's on a road trip across the country, and uh, he'll be back next week. <laughs> he'll be back next week. I know some of you miss him. He's been talking about doing this road trip for a really long time, and it finally just happened, like kind of out of nowhere, just happened. And like I hit him up one day, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in Utah or something crazy like that. And then he drove to like Chicago. He's been to Milwaukee. We'll hear about his world tour, his, his, his nationwide tour, I should say. Not a world tour, but his nationwide tour is he's hit a bunch of different cities, a bunch of different states, obviously, traveling back to Chicago, Milwaukee, and obviously making his way back. I think he's made a stop in Dallas as well. So we'll hear all about it next week. But it is just me here today. I will start with some win shares. You guys are all getting ready to get an insight on the busiest portion of my year every year. Obviously, y'all know I broadcast. Um, getting ready to announce some games that I got coming up on the horizon this weekend and early next week. But I also DJ, and it's been an interesting time because DJing for the last couple of years just wasn't quite so busy for me because of the pandemic. So the last couple of years, I really haven't done much with it. Still been busy during the wintertime, being that I'm calling games for three different basketball teams, obviously Pacific University men's and women's, Portland State men's as well. So I've stayed busy but now I am about to be probably busier than I've ever been before. Being that DJ, I started back DJing a lot this summer, and quite frankly, it's been successful. Shout out to everybody that's come and supported any of my gigs. This past weekend definitely was the biggest one. Had a huge Halloween party. It was a huge success as well. Shout out to everybody that came out and booked that place out to capacity. My goodness, there was a lot of people there and a lot of people that was there but couldn't get in the actual door because it was a super busy night a lot of people came out but most importantly it was a peaceful night no drama everybody had a good time at least 90 percent of the people wore costumes so it was great but anywho again DJing has picked up gratefully for me um I'm grateful about it and I love doing it so I'm not complaining by any means But again, being that I'm entering college basketball season, which is already a busy portion of the year for me, and the momentum has still carried DJ-wise, I'm DJing and broadcasting simultaneously this year. Like, there's one day in December, I believe, where I'll I'll be calling three basketball games, and then once I'm done calling those games, I'll DJ that night. So I'm, like, at Portland State at 1 p.m., Then I got to drive, strike it to Pacific University for a 4 p.m. women's game. And then they got a 6 p.m. men's game following that. And then as soon as I'm done with that, I got to strike it back to downtown Portland to go DJ that night. So I definitely got a busy schedule here on the horizon coming up, though. Um, these next couple of nights, tonight and tomorrow night, which is Friday and Saturday, November 4th and 5th, I will be back at Export again, DJing both nights, 9 p.m. to midnight. Come out and support if you wish. Um, I wish you would. <laughs> it's definitely, again, been a great time. The residency has been successful, and we're keeping the vibes high over there. Also, 
this weekend. Pacific University football will be playing its last home game. So uh, 1 p.m. Saturday, 11-5, I will be calling my final football game of the season. It'll be the boxers playing against Whitworth Whitworth at home. That is a 1 p.m. kickoff. You can watch that on GoBoxers.com. And then next week, college basketball starts. So Tuesday the 8th, I'll be calling Pacific University men's game at 8 p.m. against Portland Bible College. You can tune into that on GoBoxers.com as well. And then that Wednesday, November 9th, will be the first game for Pacific University women's, and they'll be playing against Montana Western University. That'll be a 6 p.m. tip-off, and then I'll get into next weekend's slate of games on the next podcast episode. So again, y'all are getting ready to see how really busy I'll be, at least through March, you know, when March Madness comes around and college broadcasting dies down for me. Uh, I love what I do, though. I am not complaining by any means about being booked and busy. I like the paychecks that come with being booked and busy. And again, it's seasonal work. You know, I'll obviously probably be DJing year-round at this point, at least the way things are going. But, um, you know, with, with the college basketball season being such a busy season for me, calling games for those three teams, you know, once March Madness comes around and all the coverage goes national, hopefully I'll be calling the Big Sky Tournament this year. So we'll see about that. I've been in some conversations with some folks uh, trying to get a slot broadcasting out in Boise for that. But again, we'll see as the time comes closer. But, um, you know, through March, I'll be busy getting after it. And then after that, I will be able to just ride off into the DJing sunset as I prepare for a busy spring and summer of doing that again. But again, still doing it during the season as well, so you can still come out and see me get busy on the ones and twos. Now, to get into some content, I want to start with last night's experience. Last night, I went to the Portland Trailblazers game. They played against the Memphis Grizzlies. Lost by five, but, you know, no Dame Lillard, so... You're playing against a really good Grizzlies team who had some players that wasn't playing as well. To be fair to them, Jaron Jackson wasn't playing. Danny Green was sitting at the end of the bench. And my goodness, I didn't know how much of a shit talker Danny Green was. Danny Green, who was dressed in street clothes yesterday, I sat courtside. So, for one, (laughs) it is what it is there. A bunch of y'all saw me on TV and was tagging me yesterday. I was able to sit courtside. I actually, to be fair was the road directly behind courtside. So my feet hit the wood if I put it underneath the person's seat that was sitting in front of me. My feet technically wasn't on the wood, but if I just stuck that leg out a little bit, bam, I could put a toenail on the wood. But that's how close I was sitting, and I was sitting near the Memphis Grizzlies bench. And obviously I got a little thing for the Memphis Grizzlies, quite frankly. Y'all remember what took place. During the playoffs, the Warriors, obviously, me being a Bay Area guy, my guy GP2, the Dylan Brooks incident, and it was just a real chippy series. And again, I kind of grew a little bit of distaste for the Grizzlies from that particular series. Now, the Grizzlies, I do believe, is one of those teams that you you either love them or hate them. They actually aren't as likable of a team that maybe sometimes somebody like a Ja Morant can make them be because Ja Morant is such a superb player. I got to see that on display a little bit last night. Um, But there's just one of those teams, they're chippy. 
They like to get under your skin. And unless that style of basketball is tailoring you and what you want to do as a basketball player, as a competitor, or the team that you're rooting for, they're easy to get on the train with and love. Definitely a tough group. And again, they 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 are. Oh, they talk a lot. I'm talking about Danny Green was telling the fans from the bench in street clothes, like when when uh the Grizzlies went up 17, he's like, Oh yeah, um traffic in three minutes, it'll be traffic in three minutes, like basically trying to send the crowd home, at least the ones that were close enough to be able to hear him. And again, you know, I had some pretty good seats last night. And so then shortly after that, this Blazers go the Blazers go on this crazy run and they ended up tying the game back up. And Danny Green went from trying to send the fans home to biting his lip. I was close enough to see that too. <laughs> and so it was pretty funny because he was so chatty on the bench when the Grizzlies were doing good. And he went absolutely silent. In fact, was biting his lip when the Blazers went on that run. Again, the Grizzlies were still able to come away victorious. But I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. Um, obviously, they got Dylan Brooks over there. Still not a fan of him either, quite frankly, <laughs> even amongst the apology that took place last year. Obviously, GP2, you know, said that that he squashed it with them, if you will, which was quite interesting, by the way, because there was a moment in the game yesterday. And again, because I sat close to the bench, I got to hear a little bit of what Brooks was saying. But there was actually a moment yesterday when Dylan Brooks and Drew Eubanks got into it on the floor. And so when they get into it, Brooks goes off to the bench and he's basically bringing up Eugene and shit. Like, damn, y'all really didn't like each other from those Civil War days, which I kind of alluded to back when he made the dirty play against GP2. But again, I understand how everything goes. But seeing that yesterday, him and Eubanks get into it and then hearing him like shit talk Eubanks but be mentioning Eugene and what used to happen in Eugene and so off and so on and so forth the bad blood is clearly there for those that don't know GP2 and Eubanks were teammates at Oregon State back in the day so the bad blood is still a little bit there in that regard and so that was just an interesting tidbit to see and witness again as I'm watching this team but most importantly my biggest takeaway from watching that game yesterday and I went to the game last weekend, uh, to be fair, when they played the Rockets. I went on Friday. That was the last time they played. They had a pretty significant break between the Rockets game and the Grizzlies game. So I've been going to the Blazers games. But my biggest takeaway is, my goodness, basketball is fun in Portland again. It is fun in Portland again. And, and here's the thing. Obviously, we know the regime that was for the Portland Trailblazers was one that many fans didn't seem to necessarily be happy with. But they got Joe Cronin, the new GM there now, and they're obviously coming off of a season that was absolutely terrible, and they're coming into a season where they're starting off 5-1. and one. And things look to be on the up and up in Portland again. Damian Lillard is obviously back. He's been playing like an MVP candidate right off the bat of the season. Unfortunately, he's out with the calf strain. Didn't get to see him play last night, nor did I get to see him play um, on Friday either. But it just went to show me that Portland actually – 
was a little spoiled. The city of Portland was a little bit spoiled because amidst, again, the, the last regime that was there that I agree probably needed to be done with, um, the Blazers went to like nine consecutive playoff seasons, eight or nine, one of those, and it didn't always seem as if it was as appreciated as it should have been. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm one of those fans that you 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 should have championship expectations for your team. You should thrive to ultimately see your team win a championship, be a champion, so on and so forth. And the Blazers were in an interesting situation where they went to the playoffs all these consecutive years, had a couple deep runs, especially what was that, the 2019 run when they went to the conference finals. But you just kind of always knew during that run the Blazers wasn't winning no championship. So it seemed like Blazers fans never really found true happiness although going to the playoffs all of those years, but knowing we ain't going to win the championship anyway, it's fun in the moment. Obviously, being able to attend, Dame had big moments. Uh, the, 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 the shot over Paul George, like you got your big moments, obviously, when you go on these runs and you consecutively make the playoffs. But then you go to last season. Last season was absolutely atrocious. And the energy in the building was absolutely atrocious. And the culture around Portland Trailblazers basketball was absolutely atrocious, which it's hard for it to be good when the product on the floor isn't good. And last year, quite frankly, it just wasn't. To see the joy being pumped back into this organization with the start this team is on, obviously, Anthony Simons is showing that he is a legitimate big-time talent in the NBA, and Damian Lillard is back doing everything that he's doing. Portland kind of took for granted the eight or nine years when CJ was here and the Blazers went to all of those consecutive playoff series because they knew that they weren't going to win a championship how much better off they were than majority of the other organizations in the NBA because they are able to know that they're going to the playoffs every year for nearly a decade straight. But because that kind of became consistent for them to do, and this is one thing that I hear Damian Lillard talk about often. He says consistency is boring. A lot of the reason Damian Lillard feels he's underrated in certain conversations and and in the grand scheme of obviously, you know, what he's been able to do in this league, and he's an all-time top 75 player, but he still kind of has this chip on his shoulder, and I've heard him allude to it a lot. Heck, even as recently as last week when D. Rich uh, did a post about him talking about we're talking about everything else and how trash the Lakers are and Russell Westbrook and so on and so forth. And we're not even talking about Damian Lillard, who's got his team off to a hot start, back to back 40 point games, so on and so forth. And that consistency is kind of boring. And that's what Damian Lillard reposted on his story saying consistency is boring. So this has been a long standing theme of how Damian Lillard has felt about maybe the talk surrounding him and who he is as a player in this league. But I feel like Portland kind of fed into that. Although Portland loves Damian Lillard, I'm not saying that Dame is not loved by Portland because Dame is absolutely loved by Portland. What I'm saying is the consistency of the Portland Trailblazers, I believe, was taken for granted. Although everybody loved Dame and what he was doing, a lot started to become about what everybody else couldn't do to help Damian Lillard win a championship. 
That's what a lot of the conversation was over that amount of time because you do have a guy, a specialist, Dame, right here in your city, in your backyard. We can clearly see how good this guy is night in and night out compared to any other superstar in the league to a magnitude because we are local and we do see him produce night in and night out to grow an absolute love and appreciation for Damian Lillard. But we did not. And some may say because Damien was the one having to carry too big of a load, we did not appreciate the fact that the Blazers still went to the playoffs nearly uh, 10 times consecutively. And I think that feel is kind of back after hitting absolute rock bottom last year that now this city is invested in the Portland Trailblazers joyfully. It just feels so joyful in that arena now. And so that was my biggest takeaway from attending these last couple of games and having attended games last year and obviously attended games even prior to that. Like the excitement at the top of the year this year is absolutely amazing. (laughs) And I'm enjoying it thoroughly, you know, again, being here in this market, seeing what this team has been able to do. And that was just sort of my biggest takeaway from, again, last night's game, being able to have the seat that I had. And I I did go for a little bit on Friday's game. I ended up leaving during the third quarter because I had to go DJ gig. So I basically just caught a lift from the Motor Center to export to go do my gig that night. But but the joy is there, man, and, and I am very happy to see it. This is a market that is all about basketball. It's about soccer, too. We'll talk about the Thorns a little later. Congratulations to them winning the title. Um, But this market, it's a basketball market. And quite frankly, I feel like there's a different kind of joy. Even when there were moments of joy, obviously having all of the success the Blazers had on on those consecutive playoff runs and some of the huge, massive moments Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and others made during that run, the joy just seems to be a little bit different now. And there's a different appreciation for what's happening here in Portland after hitting rock bottom. And that tends to be a different joy when you're coming off of hitting rock bottom rather than knowing it's going to be the same thing over again. We're going to go to the playoffs. We're going to get knocked down in the first round. We're going to get knocked down in the second round. We have no chance to win a championship. Like a lot of that got into the conversation and, 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 and got into the joy that this city had about what the team actually did accomplish going that many times. So that's kind of my takeaway, I guess. My main takeaway from going, I'm glad to see the joy of basketball fandom in Portland here in this market. We're not hearing about Neil O'Shea so far. Cronin is getting some support, and it it just feels good to see an organization hit rock bottom and and feel like it's bouncing back um, because the joy just looks a little bit different. Now, I'm going to take a hard pivot because they're also – was an absolute tragedy in the hip-hop community. Y'all know I'm a sports dude, but I'm also a music dude. Obviously, I DJ as much as I do. But um, the rapper Takeoff, I don't like to just call him a rapper. He's a human, but most affectionately known as the rapper Takeoff of the Migos was shot and killed on Halloween night or like early Morning, November 1st, technically. Um, so it was like 2 or 3 in the morning. I think like like 2.30 in the morning, November 1st, uh, down in Houston, Texas. He 
there was an alleged altercation that took place that he wasn't uh, really involved in. Again, all alleged as information continues to come out about this situation. A lot of people kept their mouths shut initially about the situation, but it's such a ho- uh, such a high profile murder. It's hard for me to imagine that we won't continue to get more and more de- details. And we have gotten some more details since then about this particular murder. Um, but it seems like there was an altercation and ultimately he got caught in a crossfire. He passed away, died on the scene. Um, there's, this is one of those things where why people pull their phones out to record a, a man in his last moments of life so tragically and the trauma that the people surrounding him, his, in this case, his family is, 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 his group partner, his uncle, Quavo, why people think that that's the time to take out your phone and record is wild to me, for lack of a better term. It's absolutely wild to me. As somebody that's first aid CPR trained, now I am no doctor, don't want to be. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm the biggest health advocate. Heck, I just did a a lecture at Pacific University the other day, and I was talking about me switching majors because I started off as an exercise science major in college, kinesiology, if you will, and uh, I couldn't do it. I had to switch majors, switch it to general media. That's why you're listening to me right now on this podcast. It's not my thing. But I am first aid and CPR trained. And one thing that I've never seen, and I've taken a whole bunch of these trainings, one thing I've never seen in any kind of first art CPA, uh, first aid CPR, excuse me, I'm mixing those words up, training, I've never seen them say, pull your phone out and start recording. I've never seen it. I just did a training a month ago, literally a month ago. I sat through one of those long five-hour trainings, first aid CPR training, and I promise you, I absolutely promise you, there was nothing in that training regarding a person who is dealing with a medical emergency that says, pull your phone out and record. It's just nothing there. I promise you it isn't. So it really sucks to me to have to see the video of this man laying here basically lifeless and the people, again, who have to deal with the trauma of watching their loved one lay here lifeless and people feel like that's the right time to pull the phone out and start recording. It's just not as tactless to me, and I hate that we have to continue to, like, be desensitized to these types of videos of our high profile, you know, people, especially, you know, rappers, athletes, black entertainers, whatever the case may be. Like, it it just sucks to have to like see that and experience that. But first, but also, you know, along with that, you know, condolences to the Migos, condolences to Takeoff's family, condolences to Quavo. Again, we saw the video and, and and the traumatic response that he had in that video for those that did see it. Um, it's a tough one, man. I'm somebody that's a huge Migos fan, actually. I've been rocking with the Migos since the beginning. That was a group that I knew pretty early on would become as huge and as big as they became in hip-hop, ultimately as one of the greatest hip-hop groups with the greatest run that a hip-hop group has ever had, 
nearly of all time. Like, they're a top five hip-hop group, in my opinion, of all time. And it's going hard. It's gonna be hard for you to, like, make me think or believe otherwise. Um, but it's one of those things where I don't want to sit here and blame hip-hop and blame the music for why it is that these things are happening. Um, I think that's... I mean, you know, it's violence. We're exposed to violence in so many different ways. Um, it, it, again, it's unfortunate that that this took place with Takeoff in particular. But I do want to see some patterns change a bit because there has been a significant number of artists in the past few years that are some of our biggest artists in our culture that just isn't being protected enough. And I'm not blaming whoever it is that's supposed to be doing the protecting. I don't necessarily know who the protectors should or should not be. I'm not necessarily saying that. But what I am saying is we have got to figure out a way to protect ours a little bit better because this has such a significant influence and impact on all of those around us. All of those around them. I'm talking about families of people. I'm talking about people that would not be fortunate to have so many opportunities that they're able to have if they weren't connected to this particular rapper. Heck, I've had opportunities being connected and related to rappers or having friends that are rappers that most people don't get. I've been able to meet people through, you know, my relation to a rapper, my connection to a rapper or rappers, I should say, because I know a few of them that I know the average person just doesn't get. So we got to figure out a way to protect these young men, to protect those that are in a place of not just influence, but in a place of impact. And they're able to have so much more impact than most that came up under the surroundings and the circumstances that many of these dudes grew up and came up around. I saw one time Too Short talking about it. Like, you got to protect the, the, the guy. You got to protect the main rap. You know, you got to protect this dude that had... DMX has talked about it before. DMX has talked about he doesn't call other rappers trash because he notices and realizes how many lives these rappers impact by being successful. Like I said, too short I've heard talk about it before as well. So when you're seeing these high-profile artists lose their lives so senseless, so senselessly, it's, it's, it's really tough to grasp. It's really traumatic again, um, and it's really something that we have to consider that this should not be happening. We shouldn't accept that this is happening, and something is going to have to be done about it primarily internally as far as us being a culture, a hip-hop culture, a black culture, black entertainment culture, so on and so forth. We internally have to be the difference. That responsibility is on us. Yes, there are certain things that aren't on us on us systemically that doesn't favor us. But there are certain things that are on us that we have to be cognizant about day in and day out in regards to how we move, how the people around us move. And we've got to hold ourselves a little bit more accountable and not allowing these senseless and reckless tragedies to continue to happen over and over and over and over in our community. 
again, this isn't me placing blame on our community. This isn't me saying that we're the only community that deals with these kind of tragedies. Yes, I'm aware of how things get publicized. Yes, I'm aware of, uh, of how we are stereotyped being in the position that we're in. I'm aware of all of those things. Yes, I'm aware that there are issues in other communities that don't have a magnifying glass put to them the way that our community has a magnifying glass put to some of the, the, the things that go wrong with us. I'm aware of all of that. But still, but still, if we're doing it to each other, we got to hold each other accountable for doing it to each other. We absolutely have to. Regardless of what they're doing to each other over there. Regardless of what those other group of people are doing to each other over there. When we do it to us, we have to be more accountable about what we are doing to us. And we have to be the change to ensure that this doesn't continue to happen to us from us. And so that's my biggest takeaway from this. Again, the, the Migos, QC, the label, the hip hop community. We, this is takeoff. This is one of our biggest rap groups we've ever had. This is the Migos, dog. No way any of us expected to wake up that morning and hear that we no longer have takeoff with us. That the Migos had an artist get killed, shot and killed in Houston at 28 years old. So young, so tender. It's something that we shouldn't have to be dealing with right now. It's something that we shouldn't have to be coping with right now. And I wish that we weren't. But here we are. So the conversation has to be had. And as somebody that is of this culture that holds myself responsible to the work and, 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 the, and the, the work and the commitment and the impact that I have on this culture to the best of my absolute ability, it would be wrong for me to not come in here and acknowledge this particular situation. So, again, I pray for us all. <laughs> um, we all cope with this in such different ways. And, you know, again, I just have to make sure that with the contribution that, that I hold myself responsible of having amongst this culture, no matter how big or small, I know how impacted we all are when we commit ourselves to be contributors to this culture, no matter how big or small. So to lose somebody that's been such a huge contributor to our culture definitely affects us all in numerous ways. And I don't want us to have to be affected and impacted by tragedies like these as we are committed to making the contributions to culture in positive ways that we all see fit. Now, I do want to follow up on last week's episode. I had Kaya Sand on here. Shout out to Demi Lawrence and Kaya Sand both. I've gotten a lot of feedback about last week's episode. Very Two very informative interviews. Again, had a couple of weeks off, so I felt obligated to give y'all something pretty good and give y'all something fruitful and have a couple of guests on that episode to make up for the lack of time that I've been here, that I'm not apologizing for not being here for, but I get it. I understand. I, I'm the same way with my, po I'm not just a podcaster. I'm also a fan of the sport of podcasting. So I actually am aware and understand the feeling of a consumer when your favorite podcast is off for 
however amount of time they see fit for their own careers, which they have earned and they do deserve. So I understand that side of it, too. I earned and deserve my time away from behind the microphone. But as a consumer of podcasts and not just a creator of one, I do understand it's tough, man. <laughs> when you become programmed to listen to particular podcasts and then all of a sudden they go on vacation or they take a month-long break or however many long break, it's a struggle. It's a little bit of a struggle. So I can acknowledge that side as well, which is why, again, I felt like we deserve to give y'all a treat of two phenomenal guests who, again, have both been receiving a bunch of feedback, at least through me, um, from a bunch of you all that listened to that episode. Um, but there was a follow-up, obviously. You know, I talked about with Kaya San the entire issue um, with this camping ban that was proposed by Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Dan Ryan. And since then, we did hold the town hall at Blanchet House on Tuesday. I was a co-moderator, along with co-moderator, facilitator, whatever you want to call it, along with Marisa Zapata. And so the mayor and commissioner Ryan came. And again, I can ensure you, A, every voice that was on the list to testify that showed up to testify did indeed testify. Let me start there. And they all testified within an hour because that was the amount of time allotted to us to be able to have Commissioner Ryan and Mayor Wheeler there. But we all know what took place last week at the testimonial at the council session uh, last Wednesday. We all know, we talked about it last week, there was some stacking of the deck where community members were pushed way further out into the testimonial session because particular voices were placed by request of Commissioner Ryan, we came to learn to be able to speak ahead of them. And those were people that he knew supported his proposal. Although there's many people out there that don't. But we did indeed make sure that every person on that list had a chance to testify, had a chance to speak, and me being the moderator, having to move around person to person. Now, that ain't the easiest job in the world for two reasons. One, some people just like to talk just to talk. I'm not saying that about anybody that was here in particular, but it's like some people do just, this is a moment that everybody doesn't get all the time to be able to speak to a mayor and to be able to speak to a commissioner. Also, another piece of it is these are real life human issues that we're talking about. So people are really, really passionate about this particular subject, which is housing, which is homelessness, which is the criminalization of homelessness, which is, again, how people's day to day human lives are going to be affected and impacted by what is being proposed by Mayor Wheeler and that of Commissioner Ryan. So there were some people that you just got to kind of let keep going a little bit more and talk a little bit more because for one, they may be saying, saying something that's for, that's profound, but for two, it's hard to detach the emotional connection of humanization from people speaking about a proposal that is going to impact humans so greatly. So as a moderator and as a facilitator, knowing that I only got an hour up on the clock, but I got 30 people on the list to speak that are coming to speak. And mind you, we instructed Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Ryan coming in. 
This is not a time for you to banter back and forth with folks. In fact, you really don't have to come in and you really shouldn't come in and say anything. Today is the day that you listen. You've done your proposing. You, you, you proposed it. You put it out there into the world. And clearly you, you ostracized the group from being able to have the priority to speak at a council session. So you're going to sit down and hear everybody out today. So super grateful that we were able to get through the list of those that did indeed show up. And majority of the list showed up. It was a packed house. Like we were definitely at capacity at the Blanche house. So it, it wasn't like oh, only half the people showed up. Nah, man, people are passionate and really feel a way about this. And it was a huge turnout in comparison to the numbers that were allowed there. Majority showed up. And so I was able to do that. You know, we had the town hall there. Plenty of, of organizations, community organizations came together to be able to pull that together. But then things actually went to another place. There was some breaking news that came out today because there's a session that's happening right now, quite frankly, to be honest with you, as I'm recording this podcast um, about this whole thing. But ACLU of Oregon came out with some breaking news. Street Roots and the ACLU of Oregon call for postponement of the mass encampment vote. And I'm actually just going to go ahead and read it. Uh, the immediate release that came out this morning. On behalf of Street Roots, the ACLU of Oregon today sent the city of Portland a notice of potential legal action in regards to Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Dan Ryan's proposal to displace people who live on the streets and forcibly relocate them to mass camps. The notice demands a postponement of the city council vote on the proposal currently scheduled for a hearing started at 2 p.m. today. It also requests public records encompassing written communications among public officials and other key parties related to the policy and the public comment process. We're asking for the postponement of today's vote so Portland's residents can feel confident about their government's policymaking process. That's the main thing. We got a quote here from Kaya Sand as well. Um, Mayor Wheeler, I believe, had a quote in there as well. But primarily, that was the breaking news coming from the ACLU of Oregon today, along with Street Roots. So once I get off of this podcast, I'm going to go find out a little bit more about it. But I did want to up, update you as best I can to where things currently stand. And that's where we are right now. So. Great work from, you know, those in the community being able to pull together and pull these particular strings um, to, to, to make things tough. You know, we got an election cycle coming up. And again, this is a topic we talked about it last week with Kai Sand. This is a topic where I don't necessarily want to use the word split, but there's definitely people that feel intensely about the crisis that is homelessness in this city right now. There are definitely people that feel intensely, whatever their feeling may be. I'm not saying from what side they come from. I'm not saying what that feeling actually is, but there is a range of them and they are all, there are a lot of them are felt intensely. And so when you have that scenario, you have this town hall last week that 
on the podcast episode, we had the town hall this week, excuse me, a couple days ago, but on the podcast as we were talking about the town hall, Kaya Sand and I are talking in code about it. Because there were already trolls, there were already folks coming out on social media that heard Kaya's testimony during the city council session, which again, Commissioner Hardesty requested for Kaya's testimony. That is a major piece to remember and to recall. But during her testimony, she called for the invitation of a town hall for Wheeler and Ryan to come to, which indeed they were invited. They accepted the invitation and showed up, as I just alluded to. But with Sand doing that, there were people right away already jumping on top of it about how disruptive, essentially, that they planned on being had the town hall been taking place. So we kind of had to keep a lot of the details under wraps because we couldn't have that take place. And that wasn't what the town hall was for. The town hall was to help give greater engagement between community members who have been intentionally put away to give input for from these people and these policymakers that are in place and that are in charge of the city to be able to have a deeper engagement with their community, which everybody in the community deserves, regardless of background, regardless of housing status, regardless of what you identify as. We're all in this community together, and these people are put in position as policymakers to engage with the entire community, not certain parts of the community. But now you obviously have this today. You have this election season. And because people feel so intensely about it, you obviously got Commissioner Hardesty up there, who we know has been <laughs> dragged for reasons not valid. And this vote taking place today, and again, I don't know exactly where things are going right now because the session is currently happening and I'm here recording. But this vote that's scheduled to take place today, many people know where Hardesty already stand on homelessness. I did just see she just did a story with KGW today about homelessness. She, she, she does great work in that regard. But her vote could certainly impact the people that feel intensely of whatever the opposing side of her vote is and give them greater influence to go out and try to encourage others not to vote for her in an election that's happening in less than a week. It's happening in less than a week. So to be able to have this thing make all of this news and become as big as it's become, knowing that you have somebody who is up for re-election right now and is trying to be re-elected within a week, to have to vote on something as significant as this, it feels like, it feels like a play against her from whoever the people are that feel opposite of whatever her vote would be in this particular session that the ACLU and Street Roots is calling to be pro be postponed. And, and I want to be clear, when I say Street Roots, yes, I'm talking about the organization Street Roots, but it is the advocacy arm of Street Roots that's calling for this. It's not the actual newspaper. The newspaper has its own independence within the confines of the organization. Just to make that clear for y'all. But it definitely feels some type of way. So we'll see how things go. Um, we'll see if a vote indeed takes place. Again, I'll find out here shortly as I wrap up this podcast episode. Um, and, and lastly, I'll talk a little bit about this Kyrie situation. Kyrie somebody else that I've been critical of. He is posting things 
that have anti-Semitic com- connotations. Kyrie Irving has been in the news for as, to be a so spectac- so so spectacular of a, of a player that Kyrie Irving is. To be somebody who is such a wizard with the basketball like Kyrie Irving is, it is a little wild to me that he's hardly ever in the news for playing basketball now. There's something to be said about that. Now, that ain't my way of telling Kyrie to shut up and dribble. So let me be clear there. Because some people can interpret it as, yeah, he needs to just shut up and play basketball, and that ain't what I'm saying. So if that's what you're thinking, stop thinking it. I ain't saying that. But what I am saying is Kyrie is intentionally putting himself in these positions There's nobody else to blame but Kyrie as to why he's in these positions to be talked about and discussed about everything but basketball, more so than he is about basketball, especially being that he's so great with the basketball in his hands. That's what I'm saying. So, A, I've been critical of Kyrie before. Same thing as I said with Kanye. I've been critical of Kanye before. I'm still critical of Kanye and Kyrie now. I don't stand with them in whatever message it is that they're trying to get out there and they're trying to put out there right now. I don't stand with them in that regard. It just ain't it. I'm not rocking with it. I'll come out and say that I'm not rocking with it. Again, I've been consistent in me not really agreeing and aligning with a lot of their reasoning for why they do some of the things that they do. And we're back in that position again right now. But I do think it's amazing that he continue to put himself in the news cycle in these ways, and there's nobody else to blame. You can't even really blame a system for this. I mean, you can in some ways, I guess, for maybe his lack of trust in the way certain things go in America. But I'm talking about what he's coming out and saying and why he's coming out and saying it. That is all on Kyrie, in my opinion. It's all on Kyrie. And so I don't know what's to happen next with the guy. I don't really, again, agree with a lot of what the guy is doing. I think a lot of this, what he's doing, a lot of what Kanye's doing is dangerous for them. It's dangerous for, obviously, the people that they're coming out and speaking out against. And I think it's dangerous for people that admire these dudes for who they've been and who and why we've gotten to know them to maybe potentially follow some of the things that we're doing that clearly isn't favorable favorable for them. In Kanye's case, we talked about it last week with Demi. The dude's losing a bunch of money. Don't seem like that's what he's really trying to do right now because he showed up to Skechers to try to make some more money with them and they wasn't having it. In the case of Kyrie, there was a joint statement that came out from Kyrie and the Nets. I think Kyrie's donating $500,000 to the Anti-Defamation League, same going as the Nets organization. But the fact that they're coming out and that they're doing that tells me it probably wasn't the thing they should be doing, or as he should be doing in particular. But when I say they, I'm obviously talking about him and Kanye and pairing them because they've both been coming out speaking against this particular group, which has been the Jewish people. So 
it just kind of hurts to see that they're coming out and they're doing these things that quite frankly are avoidable. <laughs> and in a lot of cases just ain't true. And then they're having to retract in some way, shape or form. And I don't think that that's a model that we should be attempting to pass along to others to have to be in that same position. Because even the more we come out and talk about these dudes, you're putting yourself in position to say something that can put you in danger because you're supporting them. We all got to be cognizant of that. So I guess Kyrie takes an L for me in that regard this week. That was just my taking L segment for y'all. Again, I'm rocking out by myself today. I appreciate you all for tuning in and joining. And uh, there's plenty more on the the horizon. My guy Spencer will be back here with us next week. And on that note, I'm leaving y'all the only way that I know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. (laughs) 